is the book of Philippians, chapter 1. Philippians 1. I want to pick up at verse 27 for our New Testament reading. I remind you the context that Philippi, which is just up straight up from Athens up in Macedonia, Philippi was known as a Roman colony. They affectionately called themselves Little Rome. Um, and so it was populated by a very patriotic people, and a large portion were retired military, retired legionnaires. And so keeping that in mind, you'll hear it all show up in these verses, right, and how Paul points it. So Philippians 1, starting at verse 27, only let your manner of life, that Greek word is citizenship, let your citizenship, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel So that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Just like legionnaires would stand side by side and create interlocking shields to set up this impenetrable wall. Notice that that's Paul's picture here of us. That I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw that I had and I hear that I still have. Well, keep that passage in the back of your head. I'll come back to it towards the end of the sermon. But we are in 1 Chronicles chapter 11 and 12. I think I said in my letter 13. That's next week. We're in 11 and 12, and that's page 343 in that blue Bible. I highly want to encourage you to, to keep your Bibles open to 1 Chronicles 11 and 12. You'll have no idea what I'm talking about. 1 Chronicles 11 and 12. We're coming to this place where there's a new genealogy, but this is a new genealogy. Starting in chapter 11, verse 10, it is now a genealogy of courage and unified loyalty. This will be one name after the other of courage and unified loyalty. It will go all the way through chapter 12, verse 40. So I'm going to be summarizing quite a bit as well. So here we go, starting at verse 10. Now these are the chiefs of David's mighty men who gave him strong support in his kingdom together with all Israel to make him king according to the word of Yahweh concerning Israel. This is an account of David's mighty men. And starting right here begins the genealogy of courage and loyalty. There's Jashabim. There's Eliezer and his defense of a kingdom bean patch. There's a sermon in there. I want to preach it someday. But notice at the end of Eliezer, down at the end of verse 14, and and Yahweh saved them by a great victory. And then comes the three of the 30 chief men, verse 15. They went down to the rock to David at the cave of Adullam, and when the army of the Philistines was encamped in the valley of Rephaim, David was then in the stronghold, and the garrison of the Philistines was then at Bethlehem. And David said longingly, Oh, that someone would give me water to drink from the well of Bethlehem that is by the gate. Then the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and took it and brought it to David. But David would not drink it. He poured it out to Yahweh and said, Far be it from me before my God that I should do this. Shall I drink the lifeblood of these men? 
for at the risk of their lives they brought it. Therefore he would not drink it. These things did the three mighty men. Then comes Abishai, verse 20, verse 22, becomes Benaiah, a doer of great deeds. And then after Benaiah, starting at verse 26, is just one man, one mighty man after another. Boom, boom, like rapid fire machine gun. Boom, 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 all the way to the end of chapter 11. Then chapter 12, beginning of verse 1. Now these are the men who came to David at Ziklag while he stood, while he could not move about freely because of Saul, the son of Kish, And they were among the mighty men who helped him in war. And so there's more lists. It just keeps on going. One right after the other, all the way down until you come to verse 16. And some of the men of Benjamin and Judah, already you know there's a problem or a potential risk. Because Saul, who wants to dispose of David, is a Benjamite. So here comes some of the clan of Benjamin. Oh, this could be a trick. And some of the men of Benjamin and Judah came to the stronghold of David, and David went out to meet them and said to them, If you have come to me in friendship to help me, my heart will be joined to you, but if to betray me to my adversaries. Although there is no wrong in my hands, then may the God of our fathers see and rebuke it. Then the Spirit clothed Amasai, just like the Spirit clothed Gideon in the book of Judges, the Spirit comes and clothes Amasai, chief of the thirty, and he said... And what he says is really what everybody is saying that's joining David. He said, we are yours, O David, and with you, O son of Jesse. Peace, peace to you and peace to your helpers, for your God helps you. Then David received them and made them officers of his troops. It continues on, one name after the other, and they all gather around David. Verse 21, they helped David. Verse 22, they came to help him. Verse 23, they came to turn the kingdom of Saul over to him. Verse 31, they came to make David king. Verse uh, uh, 33, they came to help David with singleness of purpose. Verse 38, these men of war arrayed in battle order came to Hebron with a whole heart to make David king over all Israel. Likewise, all the rest of Israel were of a single mind to make David king and then this genealogy concludes down at verse 40. Whew. All that I've read to you from First Chronicles and from Philippians and all that I've summarized for you, it is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. O Christ, our King and God, we want to be able to say with the Apostle Paul in Philippians, Oh, that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And so help us, Lord Jesus, that your word summarized, read, and proclaimed this day will unrelentingly flood us with just such courage. Amen. You may be seated. So we will be in 1 Chronicles 11, 10 through 12, 40. The sermon notes are on the back of the worship guide. If you're visiting and don't know that we have those, there's sermon notes on the back of the worship guide with some questions for you to maybe talk about today at lunch or answer on your own. Courage and loyalty. We like the topic, courage and loyalty. Let me tell you a story. William Pitzenbarger was an Air Force PJ. That's just short for Pararescue Jumper, PJ, right? He was a PJ 
during Vietnam. Now, our para, the pararescue guys in the Air Force are the Air Force's special forces, right? They are the ones that go out, they get all the Navy SEAL training and Green Beret training, but then they get extensive training in doing field medical stuff. In fact, they can perform minor surgeries, and uh, normally people survive. Right, so they do this behind the scenes and in combat zones kind of stuff. Well, William Pitzenbarger was a, an Air Force PJ pararescue guy he, in Vietnam. He flew almost 300 missions to rescue downed pilots and wounded soldiers. But on 11 April 1966, he was dispatched to a specific combat scene. There were American soldiers down on the ground and they were pinned down by the enemy who had... Uh, who had superior firepower and snipers everywhere, and this battle was going on. And Pittsburgher comes, he's flown there in a helicopter, and he comes and he's lowered down through the dense jungle canopy, down into the middle of a fight in Cam Mai. That's the name of the region. He came there to give medical aid and to evacuate a number of the army wounded. He was able to administer the aid to six of the the wounded and bring them to the helicopter and bring them up. They had to airlift them out, so they had to take them back up out through the canopy, which means then that the helicopters are sitting ducks, right, for enemy fire. Well, sure enough, after those six guys were taken away in one helicopter, the other ones he had to wave off because they were under attack. He was ordered to get back in the helicopter, and he waved them off and said, I'm staying here. And so he stayed there. He remained with that unit under heavy fire to give first aid, to give support to the soldiers left there. He even went through the dead bodies, grabbed ammunition to take to those who were still fighting because that way they'd have ammunition. But constantly administering first aid and medical care. And finally, as it became clear that they were about to be overrun, he picked up a weapon and he led a charge into the combat. He was instrumental, it's documented, he was instrumental in 60 men getting out alive in the end, while he himself was killed. When they found his body the next day, he had a rifle in one hand, and he had a medical kit in the other hand. Courage and loyalty. This passage that we just read and I summarized for you, it is about loyalty. It's about loyalty to king and kingdom. It's aimed at, as most of First and Second Chronicles are aimed to do, it's aimed at rekindling the returning beggarly band of Jews who are coming out of multiple generations of being exiled and oppressed under Assyrian and Babylonian and now probably Persian rule, and they're starting to slink their way back. It's meant to rouse again and rekindle again their hopes and their anticipations. That what God promised in Isaiah 11 would happen. That from the stump of Jesse, a shoot would spring forth from the stump of Jesse. It's meant to enkindle again their hopes. That this one would come, who'd be known as Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of His government and peace, there would be no end. It was meant to rekindle again the hope that finally a son of Jesse would come again. And sit upon the throne of David. It's meant to enkindle those hopes so that as they return, they start looking again for David. And so it's about courage and loyalty. Let me tell you very quickly about this passage. One other thing, just as a structure, so you'll know this. 
this segment from chapter 11, 10 through 12, 40 unfolds into two parts. The first part is chapter 11, 11 through 12, 22, and that was all about when David was on the run, when he was being chased by Saul, all these men came to him. So that's while David was on the run, and the starting in chapter 12, 23 through the end of chapter 12 is when Saul had been killed and they were coming to make David king. So it's two seasons in David's life, but the whole section is tied together by one theme. Loyalty to king and kingdom. Unified loyalty. And so we're going to begin with verse 10 and 11. gives us really the whole theme of this whole large section, and it's about being purposed up. There's our first point purposed up. Notice how verse 10 and the first sentence of verse 11 really shapes and tells you what else, what all's going on in all the rest of these verses. Now, these are the chiefs of David's mighty men who gave him strong support in his kingdom together with all Israel to make him king according to the word of Yahweh concerning Israel. This is an account of David's mighty men. And so that statement covers all that has been penned in chapter 11, 10 through chapter 12, 40. All that's penned in this whole giant section. Everything you read here is to be read through this lens. A lens of loyalty to king and kingdom. So notice it says, they came to give him strong support in his kingdom. I want to take a sidestep for just a minute because most people don't know this or they think they know this, but they don't know where it's at in Scripture, so I'm going to help you. The kingdom of David is not David's kingdom. It didn't belong to David. He was put in position as a vice regent, as the second in command, because the kingdom is the Lord's kingdom. So I give you two references in your sermon notes there, both from 1 Chronicles. 1 Chronicles chapter 28, when David is talking about his son Solomon, he says, he says, And of all that my sons, for Yahweh has given me many sons, he has chosen Solomon, my son, to be to sit upon the throne of the kingdom of Yahweh over Israel. The throne of the kingdom of Yahweh over Israel. Then you get to chapter 29, and it says Solomon sat on the throne of Yahweh as king in place of David, his father. You may think, well, why is that important? Because this is not an ethnic cleansing. This is not about turf wars. This is about thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is about God's kingdom advancing. And so those who are in opposition to the kingdom of God are God resistors and kingdom opposers. Does that make sense? And I just gave you Bible so you can always know that. This is about God's kingdom. And so then the connection then, the loyalty to the king, if you notice those other two verses, means then it's loyalty to Yahweh. And remember how God promises David. He will promise David, you will be my son, David, and all your offspring after you that sit on the throne will be my son. So think of it this way. Loyalty to the son in the kingdom is loyalty to Yahweh, to the father. And lo and behold, Jesus uses that pattern to stress it to us in John chapter 12, verse 44 through 46. Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. 
And so it's loyalty to the king. And that loyalty to the king and the kingdom is actually loyalty to Yahweh, to the Lord. And so notice that the loyalty to king and kingdom runs throughout this whole section. We're just going to run through very quickly, so stick with me. You hear it in verse 10 of chapter 11. These are the chief chief of David's mighty men who gave him strong support in his kingdom, together with all Israel, to make him king. Loyalty to king and kingdom. You hear it in chapter 12, verse 1. Now these are the men who came to David at Ziklag, while he could not move about freely because of Saul, the son of Kish, and they were among the mighty men who helped him in war. They helped him in war because it's establishing the kingdom. You hear it in Amasai's statement. When you get to chapter 12, down at verse 16 through 18, you hear it in Amasai's statement. As he is clothed with the Spirit, like Gideon was clothed with the Spirit, as he's clothed with the Spirit, he says these words that sound like they should be in the mouth of all of these, and probably is in the mouth or on the heart of all of these who have aligned themselves with David. We are yours, O David, and with you, O son of Jesse. Peace, peace to you, and peace to your helpers, to your, for your God helps you. You hear it when you get to chapter 12, verse 21. They helped David. Verse 22, they came to David to help him until there was a great army, like an army of God. And in verse 23, they came to turn the kingdom of Saul over to him. Then verse 31, to come and make David king. Then at verse 33, to help David with singleness of purpose. Verse 38, with a whole heart to make David king over all Israel. Likewise, all the rest of Israel were of a single mind to make David king. I hope I've convinced you. It's all about loyalty to king and kingdom. It is the the thumping theme or the pulsing theme throughout all of these, these verses. Loyalty to king and kingdom. But notice that this loyalty is a unified loyalty. From one end to the other, it is a unified loyalty. It's not everybody just doing what was right in their own eyes. It's a unified loyalty. You heard it clear back in verse 10. Who gave him strong support in his kingdom together with all of Israel. You hear it again when you get down to verse um, 33. To help David with singleness of purpose. Hear it twice in verse 38 of chapter 12. With a whole heart to make David king over all Israel. All the rest of Israel were all by single mind to make David king. It was loyalty to king and kingdom. It was a unified loyalty. And you know why. We talked about it last week. Because as this is being recorded and, and rehearsed for those coming out of exile, as they come back in to whatever other of the covenant people are in the land already. The potential is always to divide. Oh, you're you're Johnny-come-latelys. You're the people who came too late. No, we're the ones over here. We've been here first. We have primary place. We're the, you guys go somewhere else. There's always that potential to shatter and divide. And so the theme is unified loyalty because united, we stand. Divided, we fall. That's why he keeps hammering out this unified loyalty. And so we're being shown what it is to be purposed up, loyal to king and kingdom, unified loyalty and courage. This is what it means to be purposed up. But so that we're overwhelmed with hope 
thoughtfulness. Notice that the details are piled on in all of this section from chapter 11, 10 through 12, 40. One story after another, one episode after another. And the whole point of these examples being piled on and piled deep is to show you, to show us the kind of unified loyalty the king and the kingdom received. These men are being paraded before our mind's eyes and all of their sweaty, gritty, gutsy uh, actions as a, with unified bravery, with a unified daring and valor, the kind that's required to follow and serve God's anointed one. Now, we would benefit immensely if we examined every one of these episodes, and I have done it in a sermon, not here, but I've done it two or three times in some sermons, looking at 1 Samuel 23, which covers the same group of people. But allow me to do my own editorial economizing and call your attention to one salient episode as an example so that you draw from this and you realize what's going on with the other examples. It's the three of the 30 chief men. It's chapter 11, verses 15 through 19. There's David. He's up at the cave of Adullam up on a rock, and there are the army of God resistors. Remember, the Philistines are God resistors. They don't want the kingdom to advance. They don't want God's anointed one to sit as king. They're God resistors, kingdom rejectors. And there's the whole countryside. David can see them. They're out there. They're all set up in camp. In fact, they even have his hometown. Bethlehem, the city of David. They have it under wraps. They have a garrison set there. And David is looking and he remembers. He remembers what it was like to drink out of that freshwater well in his hometown. Anybody ever done that and you still remember? Maybe you still remember springs and wells somewhere and you go, man, it was the freshest, tastiest water I ever had. Right? I've had people do that. And that's what David does. He just wistfully says, I wish I could have water from hometown. That was the best water ever. And notice that three of these guys, these three of the 30 chief men, they hear their king. And they say, huh, there's just a few Philistines between us and that water. A whole battalion and a garrison. No problem. And so they rally together and they go through. It's almost, it's probably like a Three Musketeers moment. Right? If you ever watch any of the Three Musketeers moments, movies, you know what I'm talking about. Right? It's just total chaos, and they're whipping all of the bad guys. or all the kingdom resistors. They break their way into the well. I'm sure they're still fighting while they're getting the water out of the well. It takes time. You've got to pull the rope up and get that jug out of there and pour it in another jug and drop it back in. And then they break back through the line again, and they come back to David. And they say, David, king, you asked for it. You got it. Here it is. And David's reaction is really peculiar. For us, it doesn't make any sense, but it makes clear sense inside of God's story. He says, I can't drink it. And he pours it out as a drink offering to Yahweh, and he tells you why he can't drink it. They gave me their utmost loyalty. This water is actually their life blood. They risked it all for me. There's only one. Only one who deserves that utmost loyalty. And he pours it out as a drink offering to Yahweh. It's a memorial of their courage, right? He honors them in that moment. It was like the medal of honor being wrapped around their neck. 
What a great story. And that's a sample of all the ones in here showing again this loyalty, this unified loyalty to king and to kingdom. And not very far beneath the surface of all of these is this little theme. You see it at the end of chapter 11, verse 14. Chapter 11, verse 14. Yahweh saved them by a great victory. And you hear it in Amasai's statement when you get down to the end of chapter 12, verse 18. For your God helps you all the way through. That's the underlying subtle point. All of this is because God is granting him the victory. God is actually the one who is helping him. The promising thought here is that God will rise up And God will fight for those who support his king and serve his kingdom. Those who seek first his king and kingdom. He is with them. And that talk should sound oddly familiar to you. Because the greater son of David told us that exact same thing. When we're worried and panicked over food and necessities, because there's too little of it. When we're worried and panicked over the shortness of life, What is Jesus our Lord, the greater son of David, the king who is now sitting on David's throne? What does he say? Seek first what? The kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then what? All these things will be added to you. The greater son of David tells us exactly that point. That's why all this is being piled on, to overwhelm us with hopefulness, not hopelessness. And so being purposed up and being piled on is all because God promised this. Notice the end of verse 10 of chapter 11. It's exactly what it says. According to the word of Yahweh concerning Israel. That statement will be said again in chapter 12, verse 23, the very end of verse 23, to turn the kingdom of Saul over to him according to the word of of Yahweh. The point is, is that all of this is telling us repeatedly that what the reliable God says, what the reliable God says, the reliable God does. That's the point. Every item listed, every courageous warrior and courageous action recorded, every detail of David's expanding rule is all growing up out of those words according to the word of the Lord. Concerning all of Israel, concerning the word of the Lord. Or go back up to chapter 11, verse 3. That's how this chapter begins. Chapter 11, verse 3, the very last sentence. And they anointed David king over Israel according to the word of Yahweh by Samuel. Samuel the prophet. According to the word of the Lord. All of this is because it was promised. And so, once more, we're having being worked out for us this biblical principle we keep coming back to. That finally Jehoshaphat will actually voice in 2 Chronicles 2020. 2020, right? The 2020 principle. Get your 20... Thank you. Yes, God bless you. I have kids already doing the 2020. Yes, get your 2020 eyeballs on because this is the only way you're going to make it through. 
in the fog of war and in the chaos in front of us in places. This is the only way you will see your way through. Put on your 2020 goggles. Believe in the Lord your God and you will be established. Believe as prophets and you will succeed. Why? How do you know that? Because what the reliable God says, the reliable God does. Come on, somebody help me out here. I've said that a thousand times in ten years. Come on. What the reliable God says, reliable God does. Where does your confidence need to be? In him. That's the point. Thank you. Yes, those, those 2020 goggles. Believe in the Lord your God and you'll be established. Like David was established and the kingdom was established. Believe in the Lord your God and you'll be established. Believe his prophets and you will succeed. The 2020 principle. Which then solidifies for us. The promise in 2 Chronicles 7.14. The one that gets misused too many times. But in its context, it's gospel powerful. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sins, and heal their land and in Second and First Chronicles, the land is not a piece of sliver of dirt on the east side of the Mediterranean. It's the kingdom of God. I will hear their prayers, forgive their sins, and heal the kingdom. Heal the church. Do you hear the promise? And how do you know that that's the case? Because what the reliable God says, the reliable God does. Well, my friends... As we work on the ways that this is all written for our instruction, Romans 15, 4. How it's written for our instruction to spawn endurance in us and to spawn encouragement in us so that we have hope. I want you to consider at least four applications. I could do more. Maybe I should do less, but I'm going to do four. First off, dear friends, these men of unified courage are being marched in formation before our imaginations and minds for the ambitious goal of arousing and encouraging in us renewed faithfulness. To rouse and encourage renewed faithfulness in the faithful God in all of God's beleaguered people. Whether it's his beleaguered people slinking their way back to the land in the middle of the 300 B.C., or his beleaguered people in June 2023. To rekindle and affirm in us again a rousing faithfulness to our faithful God. You can think of it this way as the how much more principle. The how much more principle. If these men, 1 Chronicles 11 and 12, if these men were this kind of loyal to David who sinned, who who faltered, who even betrayed them a time of two. Remember Bathsheba's husband, anyone? He's listed here. He's listed in this genealogy. Who betrayed them a time of two. If this is the kind of loyalty they had to David, then how much more loyalty should we have for the greater son of David who died to remove our sins and take the penalty of our sins was raised to put us on God's good side, who will never fail us, who is sinless, who will never betray us. How much more loyalty? 
Further, my friends, these loyalists of king and kingdom are rehearsed for us to remind us that when we ourselves are surrounded by God-resisters and kingdom-rejectors, when we ourselves are surrounded by God-resisters and kingdom-rejectors, we may expect that there will be plenty of opportunity to show valiant courage and lion-hearted loyalty for our king and the progress of his kingdom. But it must be unified loyalty. It must be a wholehearted singleness of purpose, single-minded doing of great deeds. Because united we stand, and divided we fall. And that's what Paul's talking about when you get to Philippians chapter 1, is he's talking to a church that was actually being pulled apart by two women who were in disagreement in that church, and it was beginning to have consequences. And so he says, and starting in chapter 1, verse 27, only let your manner of life, let your citizenship, the fact that you are citizens of the kingdom of Jesus, let let the manner of life, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you. You are standing firm. Firm. Standing firm. How? In one spirit. Oh, no Rambos allowed. Standing firm in one spirit with one mind. Striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Oh, and it gets even better. Not frightened in anything by your opponents. Why shouldn't I be frightened? Because... You're on the right side of history because you've got Jesus. Not frightened in anything by your opponents. Then comes the bad news, good news moment. Because as you're standing firm side by side together in this unified loyalty, not frightened by your opponents, then that is a clear sign to them, bad news, of their destruction. Good news, but of your salvation and that from God. Wow exactly what you see going on and being laid out here in 1 Chronicles 11 and 12. Well, further, since the kingdom is no longer a nation state with clearly marked out longitude and latitude, but the kingdom of Jesus is now transnational and global, then the great deeds that we do may look far less glamorous, less rousing, and less less rambunctious. May not get you lots of followers on Instagram or Facebook. But they still all require the same loyalty and courage, and unified loyalty and courage. I love the way Paul puts it in 1 Thessalonians, as he's talking to this young, fledgling church in Thessalonica, which was just right down from Philippi. I mean, he went from Philippi to Thessalonica to Athens, right? So it's just right next to Philippi. And he says to them, Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another, for that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. And you may sit there and say, well, that doesn't require courage. Have you even looked at our country and the nation and the world? We're humans, and so we are naturally hardwired since the fall to like only my kind. 
And some of you are not my kind. I just want you to know. Right? We are hardwired to have our tribe and only our tribe and to turn everything into an us versus them. That's the world. That's worldly. And for us to be a church that actually works hard at loving one another the way Jesus loves us despite what we deserve takes courage, takes loyalty, and it is totally countercultural. So Paul goes on. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more and we aspire and aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs. Aspire to live quietly. Mind your own affairs. Work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Right now it pays big dividends, sometimes financially, to ramp up and shout and scream on every social media platform or every news you can or every article you write. Because it makes you feel morally superior. It's what everybody's doing. It's the, it's the wave of the day. It takes a lot of courage to actually be content and know that Jesus is on the throne and to aspire to live quietly. To actually work hard at minding your own affairs. Working with your own hands. Walking properly f- towards the outsiders and so forth. Something like this is how Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 16, verses 13 and 14. And I would ask you to write this reference down and look it up. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13 and 14. Where Paul tells the Corinthians at the end of that long letter, he says, Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, and let all that you do be done in love. That takes courage. That takes loyalty, unified loyalty. So lastly, my friends, this whole section is meant to encourage and hearten us. If you're not encouraged, I either messed up or you wouldn't. Listen, one of the two, I probably messed up. This whole section is meant to encourage and hearten us. It should drive us not to despair and not to defeat. It should drive us at least to our knees to pray. This is what the first Sick Chronicles keeps coming back to, prayer. To drive us to our knees to pray, oh Lord, backbones of steel and livers of iron, please. And then to rise up and to go perform those feats of pluck and daring and gallantry for the king and for the, his kingdom. Even if those courageous acts are living quietly and minding your own affairs, affairs kind of feats. And then to rejoice that the Lord saves us with great victory. Now here's where I want to end that thought. After Paul gets done in 1 Corinthians 15, hammering out the resurrection of Jesus, how Jesus came forth from the grave, body, blood, bones, toenails, and hair, Never subject to mortality or misery again. Paul ends with verse 57 and verse 58. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord brought them a great victory. Thanks be to God who gives us 
the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. How do you know that's true? Because what the reliable God says, the reliable God does. And he took his son who died for our sins and he brought him forth from that grave to sit at his right hand as king of kings and lord of lords. You can bank on it. A thousand percent guaranteed. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you and we pray. We pray that we would be a people of courage, backbones of steel and livers of iron, so to speak. That we would be that unified loyalty to you, O Lord Jesus, the King and to the kingdom. Forgive us when we have not sought first the kingdom and your righteousness, but sometimes have been swallowed up in seeking everything else under the sun. Help us, Lord, to walk close to you. May we be encouraged by all of these stories, these episodes here. May our hearts be lifted up. Because if there's anyone we can trust 100%, 1,000%, it is you. And so, Lord God, thank you that you give us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.